Inside the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, episode number 110. Hi, everyone. I am Tyler Vaughn in Denver, Colorado. Sam Dykstra in New York City. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Benjamin Hill is going to join us from the Pacific time zone today. We're going we're going coast to coast. Yeah, we, we get spread out pretty well, I think, for this, uh, for this one. I wish we could kind of have a map and just, like, show... Put pins and we got down. everybody but the central time zone, yeah. which we're sorry yeah. if you're in the central time zone, we don't have you covered. But that's true. Ben goes out on enough trips that that'll definitely be covered at some point. That is true. Um, and we'll be excited to talk to him then. We had a really good conversation with Ben today from the California League. And uh, to get you all set up for today's episode, you will hear from Ben. And you will also hear from, I think, just the second ever radio guy that we have had on the show we had our good buddy Alex Friedman from the Oklahoma City Dodgers last year when that roster was just loaded and today we're going to hear from Sean McCall who has been deemed him as kind of the dean of the California League Uh, Sean McCall who has been with the Lake Elsinore Storm for 22 seasons and is one of the best radio guys in all minor league baseball Sat down and talked with Ben a few days ago, so we will hear from Sean coming up in a little while. We'll talk to Ben about his trip through the Cal League, and uh, and we'll break things down in three strikes and do all of our our usual award contending content. Um, but before that, uh, thanks. <laughs> what for, award are we contending? I don't for? know. There's got to be some kind of podcasting awards for minor league baseball podcasts, right? Like I'm, we got to be. I'm sure we could find like an online poll of best podcasts and just sneak us best. in. I think I actually did that once. Like, yeah, actually, was, that like, does the sound British familiar. Awards for best for best podcasts and <laughs> you could literally type in any podcast you wanted. So I voted for us. I didn't start a big campaign about it, but somewhere in their voting roles, uh, the minor league baseball podcast got at least one vote in the best British podcast. That's outstanding. So, there we, we do go. have British fans. We know we do hear from, uh, from some guys in the UK on a pretty regular, regular basis. So we know that we're, uh, we're branched out, man. We're worldwide. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, watch out, people. Watch out. Uh, before we get started on three strikes for episode number 110 of the show before the show, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us at MILB.com or on iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever else. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you would be so kind. And uh, that always helps us out and gets us in front of more people's eyeballs and into more people's ear canals, which is the most exciting thing for us. And we get a chance to talk to you guys about the minors and we get a chance to hear from you. We got some really cool emails this week uh, from people podcasting listeners uh and we're always excited to hear from anybody who tunes in if you've got a question a thought a comment anything else you need addressed podcast at milb.com or you can get in touch with us on twitter as well sam is at sam dykstra milb and i am at tyler mon and i think that's all for our housekeeping notes so we'll dive right into it three strikes on episode number 110 some big promotions some big outfield promotions all in the central divisions, the American League and the National League. Some exciting stuff for the two teams that clashed in the World Series last year. The Cleveland Indians have called up their top prospect, Bradley Zimmer, from AAA Columbus, where he was batting 294, 371, 532, with 11 doubles, two triples, five homers, 14 runs batted in, and 22 runs scored in 33 games. He is now up at the major league level and the Chicago Cubs called up outfielder Ian Happ, who has uh, made his major league debut. He's played in a couple of games already at the big league level through 26 games of triple a Iowa this year. Happ batted 298, 362, 615, six doubles, nine homers, 25 driven in 21 runs scored in 26 games. Two really exciting talents. Ian Happ uh, has gotten time kind of all over the place. What we've learned about Ian Happ is he's a, a versatile guy in terms of where he can play defensively and that's turning into such a big deal across the world of minor league baseball for prospects who want to graduate being able to play multiple positions but this year Ian Happ is kind of a natural second baseman but he's played in left he's played in center he's played in right so he can go anywhere he can play in the middle infield he can play all three outfield spots and Bradley Zimmer when the Indians sent him to AAA Columbus to open the year it was kind of a wink and a nod move of like, we know this dude is basically ready. We just want to get him a little bit more polished before he comes up. Uh, two really exciting talents that are in the big leagues now, Sam. Yeah, and, and it took injuries to make them happen, which, you know, it's kind of unfortunate in, in that way. Um, I, I think Jason Hayward's on the DL for the Cubs, and uh, Abraham Almonte uh, was injured for the, the Indians opening up a spot in their outfield. Uh, Zimmer has been placed into the lineup as their starting center fielder tonight on Tuesday. Uh, Lonnie Chisenhall moves over to right. So Zimmer gets to stay in center field, which he is athletic to play. Um, that's kind of cool that they think he is ready to handle, you know, the most trying position in the outfield at the major league level on day one. Um, but the one thing on Zimmer, and I'll get to half after, uh, the one thing on Zimmer last year, you know, at triple a Columbus, um, 
played 37 games there, 654 OPS, not great. But the thing I was always paying attention to with him is how he was able to hit fellow left-handers. Um, he He's really athletic, you know, has a lot of power, good speed. The type that r- could really get you excited if you're a fantasy player um, just because he, you know, is a guy who seems like he could be 2020 potential someday. But is he going to hit enough, you know, against left-handed pitching? Is he going to be good enough to n- be a non-platoon player, uh, non-platoon player, excuse me, and an everyday type player? Um, so let me just read you off what, what he did against left-handers last year. He went 5-for-29 against AAA left-handers. That's a 172 average, no extra base hits. So his slugging percentage was also 172. Uh, and like I said, 29 at bats. So that's not great. That means, you know, he's really struggling against those guys against same side pitching. Um, do you have to tie him with a right-handed bat if he's going to get playing time in the majors? What does that mean? Enter this year. He's now 10 for 31 against left-handers with five extra base hits. Uh, it's a 323 average 581 slugging percentage and a 970 OPS. He was actually hitting better in a much smaller sample size, but hitting better against left-handers than he was against right-handers at the time of his call-up. And he was just on fire uh, this past month in May in 11 games, hitting 326 with a 1,000 OPS, uh, two homers, four doubles in those 11 games. So he was looking like a guy who was forcing the issue. Um, But again, it it took an Almonte injury uh, to get him to that level, um, which is kind of unfortunate. You know, we want prospects forcing their way on their own merits. Um, But, you know, maybe they would have gone a different way uh, I think T- Tyler Naquin is still in Columbus. Uh, maybe they could have gone with him, although I think he might be on the DL as well. Uh, Richie Schaefer, who's somebody we've talked about, they could have tried to purchase his contract, but they think, no, Zimmer's hot enough now. He's answering enough of the questions to give him that shot. Uh, now, what happens when Almonte comes back? It's not quite known exactly how long he's going to be out. Um, you know, it, it all probably depends on Zimmer's major league production. If he does what Hap has done in his first couple games, you know, maybe we're talking about, or somebody like Cody Bellinger, uh, maybe we're talking about him kind of squeezing somebody out of the lineup. That's certainly possible. Um, if he doesn't hit the ground running, then okay, that's fine. He got his taste. He's now a 40 man member. Uh, he can be called up whenever. Let him find himself again at AAA and either wait for another injury or wait for it to force. Uh, again later down the season so uh, we'll have to see how that kind of plays out in terms of Hap let me just uh, jump in real quick on on Bradley Zimmer I know the the one thing that that people are a little bit concerned about and it's kind of been flipped on its its head this year but at the upper minors he's really struggled with strikeouts throughout his career Uh, and this season in 33 games 43 strikeouts Um, the the swing can be long and he is a very big guy obviously we have him listed on the site at 6'5 220 Um, last year combined in 100 and 30 games he struck out 171 times between Akron and Columbus and what was interesting was during the 2016 season you kind of saw him uh, struggle a lot more against left-handers and against right-handers and that is sort of to be expected Um, I know with Akron he batted 179 with a 623 OPS against lefties against righties he batted 277 with a 914 OPS but oddly enough he strikes out a lot more against right-handers. Now, granted, he faces right-handers a lot more um, just because that's kind of the way things break down. Uh, But in 2017... He's really made pretty big strides against lefties. He batted 323 with a 970 OPS uh, in his action against lefties with Columbus this year against right-handers. Batted 348 with or batted uh, 284 with an 880 OPS. But 33 of his strikeouts this year have come against right-handers, which is basically the same exact rate as his 10 strikeouts against lefties. Those came in 31 at bats. The strikeouts against righties came in 95 at bats. So the strikeout rate is high. But what stands out even more than that. I think you're going to be always kind of worried about that, especially at the upper minors when a guy strikes out. But he's walked 14 times. He continues to get on base. The on-base percentage is 371. So even though maybe if you're an Indians fan, you're a little bit concerned about that, there are so many other tools in that toolbox for Bradley Zimmer. And the fact that he is still patient and still finds his way on is really encouraging. Yeah, and like I said before, like his athleticism is so good in that um, you know he might be – be becoming one of those players where you know you're going to take the strikeouts because the power is also there. Um, you know, when he makes contact, it can be loud contact. Right. Uh, he's certainly showing that more this year. His ISO is 238, which would be the highest at any level so far, and this is at AAA. 
Uh, mind you, again, it's th over 33 games, so maybe that would have come down over time. But the fact that he's produced at this level is certainly encouraging. But not only that, he's also got pretty good speed, at least above average speed, if not plus speed. And that's what how you turn singles into doubles, doubles into triples, extra bases, all that kind of stuff. He already had nine stolen bases this year. Yeah, to 12 uh, attempts. 30. So pretty impressive. Right, rate. yeah. He stole 38 last year. He's always going to get his steals. Um, so if he can find a way to you know, continue to make that loud contact, playing to the power, playing to the speed. He's going to be a really valuable part of an already very good Cleveland team. Uh, it's just what type of role is he going to carve out for himself now that he gets the chance? And I always remember, the quote will always stick with me, Terry Francona said when they sent him down to AAA, quote, we told him, knock the door down, make us call you up. And that seems to be through the first month plus of the 2017 season, seems to be what Bradley Zimmer has done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it, again, I wish it could have happened on his own merits. Um, Cause I think that's almost, that's a little more special in terms of our view right. uh, when a guy just breaks down the door by himself. But, um, but you know, Bradley Zimmer, he gets the Jersey, he gets the starting spot. He gets to hear his name called in his first major league game. Nothing else matters. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Ian Happ, take it away. Yeah. So uh, Ian Happ was called up last week. Uh, I think after we, we recorded, um, you you might remember he was our first guest of the actual season this year. Um, so we talked to him a little bit about what it's like to play in a system that is just so loaded with position players. Um, you know, what do you have to do? What what do you have to do to force your way? And uh, it's kind of similar to Zimmer. He he has done that. It's just it took you know an injury in the outfield for to make that happen, but. You know, the, the Cubs loved him in spring. He was one of their best spring performers. Um, they decided to push him to AAA Iowa after kind of a, a rough year last year, or rough half a year last year at AA Tennessee. But always, you know, the skills were uh, on display. You could see some decent power. You could see some decent speed. Uh, you could see, you know, some good bat on ball ability with him. And he's just kind of taken that running. He did miss a couple games uh, this you know, the, this first two months, uh, these first two months with a bruised left thumb. Uh, but when he came back, I mean, he was almost just as good as when he left. Um, I, I think the nine homers in 26 games was a little surprising from my point of view in terms of I didn't think his power would play that well that quickly, even in the Pacific Coast League. Um, you know, this month before he was called up, he was 10 for 20 with a homer and three doubles and eight RBIs in five games. So even coming off that bruised thumb, didn't seem like it was a worry at the time. Definitely not a worry since he's come back. Um, and, you know, that's what he's been almost the player he was at AAA since he's been moved up to the, the majors, going three for seven with a homer and a double and two RBIs in his first two games. So, you know, half is, he looks like just another guy off the conveyor belt for the Cubs. Um, we thought that might be the case at some point. Uh, did we expect it to be this early? No, it, it took an injury. It took, I think Ben Zobris is still kind of day to day. Um, and Hap looks like he could be the next Zobris for the Cubs. Uh, they would certainly love to have him in that way. Tyler mentioned he's played all over the outfield. He's usually played second base dating back to his college days at Cincinnati. Um, so they can use him in multiple roles, which I'm, I'm sure Joe Madden loves. They've already got, you know, they're already kind of set at the second base position and, they'd probably have the deepest second base uh, in baseball right now, you know, between Javi Baez and Zobris when he's healthy. Um, but, you know, Hap is doing everything he's he's been asked so far, whether that's hitting at AAA, whether that's playing every position, whether that's hitting once he gets to the majors. Uh, he's been playing right field exclusively for the Cubs in those first two games. We'll see what else they do with him, uh, and we'll see what happens. But, again, Hap's answering all the questions. Uh, it's up to the Cubs to figure out what to do with him, but I'm sure that, they are very happy to have that problem. Blasted a homer in his big league debut, and uh, Ian Happ, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because for the first couple of years of the podcast, we talked about what a pipeline the Cubs had headed for the major leagues. And then all those guys graduated. They turned the Cubs into a World Series champion, and it's still coming for the Chicago Cubs in a lot of ways. And so Ian Happ, even though he arrives a year after the major wave takes the Cubs to a World Series, 
it's not done. There's still a lot of talent left in that system. And Ian Happ is probably the biggest name as of right now. Um, Eloy Jimenez obviously is, is huge, but is at the lower levels of the minor leagues um, with Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach and just made a season debut this past weekend. So it's still there coming for, for Cubs fans, although I know it's been a, a struggle start to the season for the Cubs who are still under 500. And this is the latest they've been under 500, I think, in the last three years uh, in a season. But there's still stuff on the way. Still a lot to be excited about if you're a Cubs fan. Um, and speaking of Eloy Jimenez, strike two. Made his season debut, uh, and the the start to the year came on kind of a strange day. Jimenez had not seen action. Uh, he was held out to start the year with an abdominal strain, I believe was the, the injury for uh, Eloy Jimenez. But the top Cubs prospect in the organization makes his debut in a doubleheader. He played both ends of a doubleheader for Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach back on Sunday. And so far, we're recording on Tuesday, only through three games, but he's five for his first 11 with a homer. Pretty good start so far for Eloy Jimenez. He's also walked three times. He's only struck out once. Yeah, and the thing with him, um, I think it was a shoulder injury. Just ah, it was like correct. a bone bruise. In right, his right, shoulder. right, right. I was thinking of a, yeah, yeah. a different guy from Sunday. My apologies. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, he, he suffered a bone bruise in his right shoulder, making a throw from the outfield in the middle of March. Um, and then, you know, according to the story that we wrote, uh, I shouldn't say we, Chris Traprodi wrote yesterday um, after he hit his first homer of the season. There were some thoughts that, according to Cubs GM Jed Hoyer, that he kind of adjusted his throwing motion because it was sore, and that may have added on some injuries, um, which is unfortunate for him. And as you know, if he probably would have told somebody, maybe this he wouldn't have been on the DL for so long. It's okay; he's fully healthy now. And not only is he fully healthy, Tyler mentioned his stats through these first three games. But if you get a chance, look at the video of his home run on the site. You know, we have it. It's it's an absolute bomb, but not only that, this does not look like a guy who missed over a month with a shoulder injury. This the swing is free, it's flowing, it's strong. He just gets all of it and he knows it. Um, it it's so encouraging to see that from a guy that I think we were really excited about coming out of last year. Uh, he had 329 with 14 homers in 112 games last year for Class A South Bend. Everybody you talk to in the Cubs organization says the power is going to come even further for him. Uh, he had 40 doubles last year. They think a lot of that is going to translate into over-the-wall power, not just gap-to-gap power. Uh, you know, he stands six foot four, 205, still only 20 years old, not turning 21 until uh, November 27th. So, you know, for him, I, I would have loved to see what he was going to do over a full season. Unfortunately, that didn't happen because of the shoulder. Um, but you know, the, the Cubs are, were entirely high on him last year, not only for that power potential, but just the what, way he was ama- able to make that much contact in his first full season. Um, you know, everybody you talk to is high on him. He's num- right now number 10 uh, among MLB.com's top 100 prospects. Um, but you know, with the injury, how is he going to come back from that? The fact that he's done this well and looks this good, not just, oh, he's dinking and dunking his hits in the first three games. Anything can happen then. He's looking like the player we saw last year uh, is totally encouraging for you know a Cubs system that doesn't really need more encouragement, but hey, there it is anyway. Yeah, and you point out a, a good note there. 40 doubles last year, that led the Midwest League, and he won the Midwest League MVP award at 19 years old last year. That's kind of a, a, a pro tip. If you're somebody who's getting into following prospects, you're excited about a young player, somebody like Eloy Menez is the perfect example of this. If a guy has a lot of doubles – and he is very young, and people expect projectability in his frame, as they do with Eloy Menez, a guy who's 6'4 and 205, where he's listed and probably is going to fill out some from that. A lot of that power is going to translate into homers. That's something that we've talked about before, um, but really – I know the the guy who comes to mind for me, and that is Dom Smith, Dominic Smith of the Mets organization, who we talked to uh, on the podcast last year. And that was one of the things that we discussed was with him, everybody had told him, don't worry about it. The power is the last thing to come. You're driving the ball right now. Eventually, those balls are going to leave the yard. The balls that are going to the warning track, they're banging off the wall. Those are going to turn into homers as you grow up. For somebody like Eloy Menez, that's probably in the offing. And this is the thing that really stands out. Uh, this is from the MLB Pipeline scouting report about Jimenez. Quote, the Cubs likened him to Jorge Soler when they signed him, but Jimenez has a better chance to hit than Soler and drew some upside comparisons to Giancarlo Stanton in the Arizona Fall League. That there 
there are a handful of guys that you don't really compare players to that often. Stanton's one of them. Mike Trout is one of them. Bryce Harper is one of them. Obviously, the elite level guys in terms of tools. Now, Stanton probably has 75 grade power, and in terms of scouting, Eloy Menez is rated at a 60 uh, with MLB Pipeline, but that's still a very good grade. It's an above average grade for power at the major league level. He's going to continue getting better, and this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg right now. But obviously, for the Cubs organization and for Cubs fans, very exciting just to see him back in action. Um, so he's getting things rolling with the Class A advanced Myrtle Beach Pelicans, and also at the Class A advanced level, we move on to strike three, and we'll go to the opposite coast in the California. League and the top prospect in the Colorado Rockies organization, and that is the young shortstop Brendan Rogers, who similarly to Jimenez, got a late start to his season this year. It was a hand injury that kept Brendan Rodgers on the disabled list and in extended spring training to get his year underway. But he's been back for about three weeks, a little bit more, through 20 games so far this season. Brendan Rodgers is batting 405, 422, 655. And yes, it's Lancaster. It's a very offensively geared environment. But Brendan Rodgers, no matter where he is, he's hitting right now. And it's a very encouraging sign for the Rockies because because the thing that you sort of worried about with Brendan Rodgers when he got his career started, broke down early on in his first season. I think a lot of that was a function of the fact that he didn't play basically from April or May, sat out six weeks to two months before getting into pro ball after his high school season was over, and then just kind of got ground down in the the lengthy minor league season that starts off a professional career. He'd been playing since January, February. He's going through all the way to September. That happens to guys in their debut season. Last year was healthy wire to wire pretty much with Asheville. This year with Lancaster gets started late, and you kind of wonder what the response is going to be. The response has been fantastic for Brendan Rodgers. Yes, at home, the numbers are inflated, and Stop me if you've ever heard that before about the Colorado Rockies or a Rockies player or prospect. He's OPSing 1392 at home, but on the road, he's actually played more games on the road than he has at home. 11 versus nine at home in Lancaster. He's batting 340 away from home with a 354 on base percentage and a 468 slugging percentage. No matter how you cut it, it's been a very impressive start for Brendan Rodgers since he got back on the field. Yeah, and he's currently on a 13 game hitting streak. Um, That's pretty good by too. The time. Yeah, that, that's that's not bad. That speaks to his consistency at the very least. Um, and that, as, as Tyler mentioned, uh, that streak did start on the road. Uh, six of those games are on the road compared to seven at home, the last seven being at home. Um, I'm not entirely sold on the numbers that much so far in terms of just the power. Uh, he's got 10 extra base hits at home compared to only four on the road. Um, but... You know, the fact that he's making this much contact, the fact that his average is this high in both uh, ways is certainly encouraging. He's a guy who seems like he's kind of ready to explode and that we know the tools are there. Um, Kind of in the way Tyler was talking about Eloy Jimenez. You know, if if you know a guy can put the ball in the gaps pretty well and the next thing you talk about is projectability with him. Uh, the next thing you should talk about after that is probably homers. Um, so, you know, Rogers last year at Class A Asheville, 19 homers versus 31 doubles in 110 games. Uh, this year, three homers and 10 doubles. He may never be a guy who's going to hit, you know, 30, 35 homers even in Colorado. But being a shortstop, you know, there's a chance he could get to 20 someday. And that that is pretty good. Uh, the Rockies have a really good, powerful shortstop right now in Trevor Story. Um, but everybody kind of agrees Rodgers has always been always had the higher ceiling than story as good as he has been in the majors. Um, so the fact that he is taking uh, this production to the class A advanced level again, like we always say, you can only hit where you are. Uh, we can't discount him for you know taking advantage of the environment that he's in. It's not his fault. He was placed there. All he can do is hit and nobody else is hitting quite the way he is. So even then, when we take all those park factors into account, Nobody is doing exactly what Brendan Rodgers is. Um, so, you know, right now he's ranked. He's definitely a top 100 player. Um, could he possibly go higher than that? I don't know. It, it, he's not exactly of the ceiling of somebody like Labor Torres or Ahmed Rosario. I think those guys are, are better defensively, certainly in the case of Rosario. Um, Torres, we'll have to see exactly where he sticks, but I think everybody says he's going to be a shortstop. Rodgers. Tyler and I were talking about this before. Um, you know, he played a little bit of second base last year. Uh, it seemed like the Rockies were kind of toying with the idea of giving him both positions and seeing where he fits best. 
when that happens, you begin to think, okay, if it, this is already happening in the lower minors, what does it mean for his future? Um, but only one start this year in his 20 games has come at second base. Uh, so they seem pretty locked on him at shortstop for now. Um, what he does with that opportunity, we'll have to see. Uh, he's considered just kind of an average fielder. His bat will certainly play for that position, but if his, his glove isn't as quite up to snuff, uh, that'll be keep interesting to keep an eye out. But uh, right now, ranked at number 12 in MLB.com's top 100 overall. He's certainly looking like the number 12 overall prospect, and it, it'll be exciting to see how he carries that deeper into the summer. Very quietly, the Rockies are kind of one of the organizations that's leading the charge in terms of this new wave of positional versatility among players, not just at the major league level, but in the minor league ranks. And, of course, the Ian Desmond signing got the, the biggest headlines for that because you're signing a guy who's never played a position to play a position at the major league level, but he also has other spots where he can go. The Rockies are trying Trying that Brendan Rodgers saw a lot of time, as Sam noted, last year at second base, played a game there this year. Ryan McMahon, who is a, a top Rockies prospect, uh, who is ranked overall in the top 10 in the organization. Ryan McMahon this year is a guy who was drafted as a third baseman, played a lot of first base. He's played a ton of second base this year as well. McMahon's the eighth-ranked prospect in the organization, and he's back in double-A, batting 336 with a 958 OPS. But Brendan Rodgers, yeah, I think they're – pretty content to stay with him at shortstop because that's really what looks like it'll be his ticket to the big leagues but the thing that stands out before we wrap this up the most recent story that we wrote about him was from Sunday and it was from our good pal Josh Jackson and talked with uh, Asheville manager or with Lancaster manager Fred Ocasio uh, formerly of Asheville who said quote that's one thing we've talked to him about even though he was hitting well before he was pulling the ball a lot more we talked to him and said, hey, listen, you got to think a little about the other way, too. Today, he had a triple to right field that was to the wall almost out, and he had a home run to center field. It was good to see him hit the other way, but not just that. He hit the ball hard the other way. So there are still things for these guys to grow with, but the fact that somebody can take input like that and very quickly spin it into results is really impressive. So that's where Brendan Rodgers stands at the start of his 2017 season, now a few weeks in. And that'll do it for three strikes on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Coming up, we're going to head to Lancaster. Strangely enough, everything's tying in so well today. Benjamin Hill will join us from his California League road trip. We'll talk about his stop at Brandios, one of the, the big creative engines behind the identities in minor league baseball, as well as his swings through Inland Empire, Lake Elsinore, Lancaster, and what else he has coming up on this California League swing. Ben Hill coming up next. We are headed to the California League, and ordinarily I lead in interviews like that, and then we talk to a player. We're not talking to a player right now. We're talking to our good buddy Benjamin Hill, who joins us from uh, – are you in a parking lot? You're always in a parking lot when we talk to you on the road. Yeah, I'm in a parking lot, and I'd also <laughs> like to say I am a, I, I am a player. I mean, just the difference. <laughs> not a player. You just crush a lot. Um, ben, yeah, hi. Yeah. California League. It's been uh, a few days. You've been out in the, the Sunshine State. Um, it's a good old school joke for those of you who remember God, that movie's like 15 years old now. Um, but tell us about it so far. Three stops already. We're going to get into one non ballpark stop here in a minute, which was really cool, but you've hit inland empire, Lake Elsinore and Lancaster. You join us from Lancaster. Now tell us about the, the first few days of the Cal league swing. Yeah. Well, not even the first few days. It's, this is the home stretch. Now I've been on the road for a week and, uh, spent two nights in two of these locations and I'm in a hotel parking lot in Lancaster right now. And uh, it's windy here. Look, if I step out of the car, maybe you can hear it. Can you hear that? Yeah. Wind. Wow, yeah. Oh, there you go. That is that, yeah, that's that legendary Lancaster that wind. That's why, like, every game there is, you know, 25 combined runs at least. That's like the baseline. Yeah. Yeah, it's windy all the time here. Um, that's what I'm told. And, you know, they have haboobs sometimes. You the big dust storms. Haboobs? Yeah. Yeah, I, lo I love haboobs. I just love the word. It's a haboob. <laughs> H-A-B-O-O-B. -O -O -B. I'll never get over it. But uh, anyway, no, I did not start here. I did not start here in uh, in Lancaster. I, I flew into San Diego, and uh, less than three miles from the airport is the headquarters of Brandios. So I uh, started the trip with uh, those guys, Casey and Jason of Brandios, and uh, visited their office slash studios, got a little tour of what they're about, and, uh, you know, talk to them about their process and I'll have a story on them, you know, for sure. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, we've written about them and talked about them for so many years. They've had such an influence on the minor league landscape, arguably as much as literally anyone over the last decade. 
uh, with the teams, you know, we could go on and on the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp and the rumble ponies and the baby cakes and the rubber ducks and the blue wahoos and the iron pigs, et cetera, et cetera. So cool to talk to them and uh, get a sense of, uh, you know, what they're like on their home turf. So that was uh, kind of an anomalous way to, to start things. What were you able to see about their process in terms of like what they're doing right now? Um, just because it is, is it their off season? Do they have an off season? No, they don't really have an off season. I kind of talked to them about their timelines and usually, you know, we, we were well familiar with new logos debuting in the off season in November and December, mostly, and then into the early new year. But usually that process, let's say, you know, the baby cakes, I don't know the exact timeline, but new Orleans baby cakes, they debuted for 2017. So generally the process is it, it, it gets rolling at, um, you know, two previous winter meetings before the unveil. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that was the case in new Orleans, but you know, we look at these 27 rebrands and let's say the general timeline was that the initial conversations probably had happened in late 2015. And then they spent the early part of 2016 making the on-site visits and doing the focus groups and collecting information and doing, you know, one draft and then two drafts and three drafts and, and going through all that. And that can last months and months and months and months. And then, uh, you know, as you're approaching, you know, the middle of the year and uh, into the summer before the unveil, you need to make sure everything's approved. Um, minor league baseball is okay with it. You know, have all the merchandise, you know, the initial merchandise order, the uniforms, you got to start to design them and then go for the unveil um, roughly a year after the process began with the team actually debuting in those logos and uniforms, you know, the following April. So it's the better part of a year and a half. How much do you get um, inclinations or indications of things that are to come? I mean, obviously we can't have you reveal trade secrets, anything like that, but is Brandios working on anything right now? Well, yeah, of course they are. Um, you know, they gave me a few hints. I, I picked up a few off the record details, but you know, they're really nice guys, open guys, but you know, even I've known them for a long time writing about what I write about. But, you know, there were definitely moments when Casey's showing me his sketchbooks and then he looks at Jason and he's like, ah, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't show that one yet. You know, that kind of thing. There's certainly things they're, they're keeping close to the vest. I did pick up a few things that I could reveal right now, but uh, I don't want to damage my reputation. I'm, you know, I keep uh, I keep my uh, information close to the vest. I don't I don't uh, betray my sources. So tell us about your ballpark visits. Um, you had a good story about Steve Hernandez, first base coach for the Inland Empire 66ers. You've also hit up Lake Elsinore. We're going to hear from one of the, the best radio voices in all minor league baseball coming up in a little while, an interview that you did uh, with Sean McCall, the radio voice of the Lake Elsinore Storm. And then last night, I know you were in Lancaster, hopped on the radio with Jason Schwartz there. Uh, what have the, the ballpark trips been like so far? Yeah, well, to break it down, I started on Thursday night in England Empire, you know, technically San Bernardino with the 66ers. Um, hadn't been there for six years. It was uh, Baywatch night, a thirsty Thursday. Pretty low-key night at the ballpark. Um, not too much energy there on that particular night. A um, little, bit, little bit gray and windy. Um, but, yeah, I talked to Steve Hernandez and did a story on him that came out today. I'm speaking to you guys here on Tuesday. Um, he's an interesting story in that he was a local high school coach for years. And then started doing scout ball, you know, putting together talent showcases and teams, you know, for the benefit of scouts, you know, got to know a little guys in affiliated baseball through that Then wanted to learn about what it was like to be in the minors. So he could, you know, when he's talking to the parents of potential draftees and the draftees themselves, he could kind of give insight into life. And one thing leads to another and he gets his first coaching job well into his 50s. And for the last seven years, he's been the first base coach for the Inland Empire 66ers. And so I talked to him, you know, a rare story of never playing professionally, but coaching in the minors and not just coaching in the minors, but, you know, making your professional debut in your 50s as a coach. So uh, he was an interesting story and uh, focused on him a little bit. Beyond that, as I said, you know, low key night at the ballpark, it was a more hands off approach to the Ben Biz extravaganza, you know, wasn't uh, too involved with the team and didn't get too much information from them in terms of what they were you know, looking to share. But, you know, I did the knocker ball contest and got destroyed. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, but uh, yeah, that I got was, knocked around that on was the field. physical comedy gold, to be honest. I was going to ask what those are called. What did you say? They were knocker balls? Knocker balls. I mean, they get different names in different places, but, you know, it's just a big – it's essentially like a big uh, – almost like a, a big globe, a big inflatable, translucent plastic encasing to put around yourself, and then you just run at your opponent's. 
And uh, I did one in Kane County, which was just one-on-one, and they'd say go, and then you just run at your opponent. And I actually won that one, but this one was a three-person contest in which we all started, you know, hula hoops placed in the uh, shallow left field, you know, roughly equidistant from one another. Then they say go, and it's like a every man for himself, uh, three-person knocker ball battle royale. And uh, I got destroyed. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm an older man in terms of the on-field stuff. You know, most of these guys are and, 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 and women are, you know, in their early 20s. And so I'm at a disadvantage uh, with the lack of experience and being out of shape. And sometimes the teams say, like, all right, go easy on this guy. And, you know, I say, well, you don't have to, but they still do. That was not the case in Inland in Empire. I don't think anyone knew who I was or why I was doing it. So they just was like, here's a guy and we're going to destroy him. And uh, I nicknamed myself the Eviscerator. And uh, that was not uh, what I did on the field. I got knocked down four times in like 45 seconds. And but, you know, and you that's, got that's called good. out for the nickname. Like after you got blasted, the on-field PA guy said, "Oh, the eviscerator gets eviscerated." Like it was an instant call out. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, I set I set myself up for that <laughs> one. So uh, you know, no, no no problems there. But check it out on Twitter, and it'll be in future blog posts as well. Ben's Biz blog. Follow me on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And um, yeah, I went from there to Lake Elsinore. Um, just like in Inland Empire, I hadn't been to Lake Elsinore since 2011. So, um, you know, a lot has changed. Uh, they've made a lot of improvements, have a lot of uh, new seating sections in the ballpark. They don't have an old ballpark, but it's um, a little over 20 years old. And just like the rest of minor league baseball, they're always trying to open things up, make it more uh, accessible, make it have more room to move. So they're, they're really adapting with a lot of things there. And that's just a team, you know, a firing on all cylinders all the time kind of team just a real model organization and one I had a lot of fun with and a lot of energy both nights, um, you know, taking part in the between inning contests, talking to all the different characters around the ballpark, of course, spending time uh, in the broadcast booth with Sean McCall. Um, you know, that's, that's a place that really justified being there for two nights. And uh, I think I'll look back on 2017 and, you know, being with the storm, that, that's always a highlight. So uh, good, good stuff there for sure. And thunder, the mascot was my designated eater one night and uh, I still don't really understand how how it worked or if it worked at all. He just kind of sniffed his the food and put his face in it and threw it around. And uh, I think quotes are forthcoming that um one of his uh, confidants will interpret for me and send over. But uh, that, there's there's another uh, first on the road having a mascot taste the stadium food. I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm doing, I don't think people realize it. It's almost like avant garde. You know, I'm here like a sports writer, but I'm doing stuff that no one's done before, and people better well, recognize because when I die, they're going to say, here's a real pioneer. So, you know, get on the train now. I don't want to be like Van Gogh and die alone and penniless. I'm doing things that no one else has done before. Well, see, I was going to say the quote should be like Woodstock style, just like lines that we can interpret for ourselves and, and see whether he actually enjoyed the food or not. But I guess that's that's not original enough for you, Ben. It might be original enough, you know. I, I just roll with the punches, and uh, we'll see what happens. And I don't really know how a mascot conveys his thoughts. It might be pretty abstract uh, commentary on the food offerings, but uh, it was a lot of fun to do that. And as I said, Lake Elsinore, uh, great, great times. And then uh, here, where I am right now, but not for long, as soon as I'm done talking to you guys, I'm going to get some lunch and then drive to Rancho. But I'm here in Lancaster, and a uh, very windy place, you know, the Antelope Valley, uh, kind of a desert environment known primarily for the aerospace industry, uh, Edwards Air Force Base is around here. Um, so I was there on Sunday, on Mother's Day, which is a pretty dead day at the ballpark, uh, not just uh, with the Jethawks in Lancaster, but usually around minor league baseball. But um, had a great time with Jason Hensley. Shout out to Jason Hensley, my designated eater, who loves the podcast, and uh, that's how he became familiar with my stuff. He works at Edwards Air Force Base, and it's about a 40-minute drive from there back uh, to his home, and he said he looks forward to this podcast every single week. So I'm sure there's others like him out there, but that was cool to see. He got to try a lot of different foods and customized tater tots and a two-foot-long hot dog. It's two feet. It's 24 inches. It's uh, fairly absurd, but it's a pretty good visual when you're carrying a 24-inch uh, 24 hot dog around. So, uh, yeah, good stuff with the food. Uh, Cal League is really interesting, and in the, the hangar, the Jethawk Stadium, is the epitome of that. Um, it's a launching pad. It is windy here all the time. You have some uh, high offense games quite regularly. Uh, I was there again on Monday night, which was a salute to local heroes night, and they had a great Monday. The first time I've ever had a team excited that I visited them on a Monday um, with a pregame you know, ceremony in honor of you know, EMTs and uh, sheriffs and all sorts of local law enforcement officers, corrections officers. Uh, so really good energy for Monday night at the ballpark. And typical Cal League baseball, 
the Jethawks are winning 12 to two, and then the uh, Stockton Port scored eight on, on eight unanswered runs, and then even put the go-ahead run on in the ninth before finally the game ended. 12-10 uh, Jethawks, and uh, you know, in, in other locales, that's a game you remember of like one of the craziest games of the season in the Cal League. It's just like you know, just another night in the Cal League. Uh, crazy stuff around there. But um, obviously, yeah, I got stories coming from um, both Lake Elsinore and uh, Lancaster in the coming weeks, and even in the, you know, within the next month, I got lots of material to sort out. And I'm driving to Rancho right now uh, as soon as I'm done talking to you guys, and that'll be my first time ever with the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, uh, the last team in all of California I have to visit, not just in the Cal League, but in the entire state of California. You know, my last trip, I went to Frisco that uh, completed the state of Texas for me, so you know, I'm getting close now. I'm getting close to having to reevaluate my whole life after having been everywhere. And Ben, if there is one thing that you're kind of going through through this trip, maybe it's it's you're not there yet in terms of you haven't been to Rancho yet. Uh, the trip's not over, but um, what is the kind of the sense of California League Baseball that you're getting that kind of ties all these teams that you've seen so far together? Well, you know, it's funny to compare Inland Empire and. Uh, Lancaster and um, Lake Elsinore, they're all pretty different environments. Um, you know, the Jethawks and the 66ers and Inland Empire and Lancaster have nearly identical stadiums, so that's fairly similar. You know, fairly cookie-cutter, you know, 20-some-year-old stadiums, um, but totally different environments in terms of kind of what I spoke about before in terms of, you know, here in Lancaster being more of a desert environment and lots of offense. Um, it's not a league. It's a league with quite a lot of diversity, even though there's only eight teams now. Uh, given the contraction of high desert and Bakersfield. So it's, it's not a place where you go from place to place and say, you know, Oh, this, this is just like other Cal league teams. Every place has been pretty different so far. And I'm looking to see if that holds in Rancho as well. It's, um, you know, it's an interesting spot, the Cal league it's, you know, been down on its luck a little, especially with those two teams that were, um, you know, they were trying to get rid of them for years in Bakersfield and high desert. <clears throat> so now in a sense, I'll miss those locations, but it was kind of addition by subtraction. Um, they, I think, are a, it's a stronger league right now with just eight teams, and um, I think they're poised to be more stable going forward and uh, pretty solid facilities all around, and that's a good thing because it's real tough to build new stadiums in California uh, with uh, public funding and whatnot, and that's a discussion for another day. Well, Ben, we have a, a conversation we're going to get to, and the one of the cool things about your trips is you very often get to jump on the radio broadcast and talk with um, you know, the local guys about uh, what you're doing there and kind of get your reflections on their ballpark and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the only reason that I'm nerding out on this is that you and I did that once a very long time ago. Um, but to get a chance to hop on with all these guys, you talked with Sean McCall, and we'll play that interview here coming up in a minute the the radio voice of the Lancaster Jetox or the of the Lake Elsinore Storm rather and then the next game out talked with the radio voice of the Lancaster Jetox Jason Schwartz Jason's been there for a few years but Sean McCall as you noted is kind of the dean of the Carolina of the California League give us his background he's been there for way longer than you hear most guys in minor league jobs and he's kind of a cult hero now in Lake Elsinore He absolutely is you know before getting into that you know um, I didn't go on the air with Steve Wendt in uh Inland Empire, but a real a nice guy and real great broadcaster. When I talked to him um, before the game started, he had his daughters ages three and like seven months in the booth with him because his wife was on the way to the ballpark and stuck in traffic. And it was like half an hour to game time and he's just babysitting and uh, just a great uh, minor league moment there. So great to catch up with Steve and uh, Jason in Lancaster is, um, is, is, a, is an excellent broadcaster. And everyone I talked to is like, you know, we're so glad he's here, but he's got to move on. Like he's just, uh, you know, he, he's, he's done all he needs to do at this level and he needs to go on. And it was great hanging out with him on Sunday in uh, Lancaster. Jason was in the booth on mother's day with his mother and father and both his grandparents ages 98 and 95. And they told me a story about how his one grandmother, the, the younger one, the last time she was in the booth, she got hit by a foul ball. And uh, that, that's no good. But uh, you know, <laughs> the fact that she showed up again makes, is, Testament to her. Yeah, she showed up again at, at age 95, fully recovered and strong as ever. So a uh, real cool moment to see that, and then great to be on the air with Jason yesterday. But then to bring it back and uh, end things here with Sean McCall, he's been with the storm in Lake Elsinore since 1996. He is literally the best broadcast booth um, in all of minor league baseball. It's, uh, you know, it's two-tiered and uh, all sorts of stuff on the walls and little in-jokes all over the place in terms of the signage. 
Um, you know, he has, he is the most, literally the most hospitable man I know. You walk into his booth and it's soda water beer and he gets it from the mini fridge and he has, uh, you know, toothbrushes he's always giving to people because he also has candy and then you might as well get a toothbrush. And of course the dentist is a sponsor and, um, you know, really funny guy, you know, not overtly zany, but if you listen to him for any length of time, you can tell he's got a really dry, really well cultivated sense of humor and uh, is just a really, really good broadcaster who's just fun to listen to, you know, in any context, whether you're talking about Class A Advanced or Major Leagues or anything else. So I did an interview with Sean, and uh, you'll hear that shortly, just to, to talk about his career and his influences and his sense of humor and uh, his commitment to being polite and hospitality and uh, and all those things. And, you know, I can really relate because when you're a broadcaster, Tyler, as you know, in the minor leagues, this, the, the question is always, you know, when are you going to move up? When are you going to move up? When are you going to move up? And it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. And Sean is someone who's found his zone, his spot, his atmosphere uh, in the California League and, and just enjoys being where he is. And it's very evident. And I relate to that. And maybe you guys do as well, working in the minor leagues. That, like, I want to be in the minor leagues for the situation I'm in. And it's cool to hear that expressed sometimes because I think when people hear minor leagues, and maybe rightfully so, they just think, uh, you know, you got to get up. You got to get to the majors. No one wants to be here. That's true in a player sense, but in a lot of other senses, it's not the case. So let's, uh, whenever applicable, celebrate just being in the minors. And uh, that certainly applies to Sean McCall of the Lake Elsinore Storm. I'm Ben Hill with the Show Before the Show podcast, and I'm here at Lake Elsinore's The Diamond with uh, someone who is almost, I don't want to say synonymous with Storm Baseball, but if you follow the Lake Elsinore Storm, then you know this man, the broadcaster Sean McCall. Uh, Sean, thanks for being here. Ben, indeed. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if you're synonymous with Lake Elsinore Storm Baseball, but you've been here quite a while. When did you start? I started in 1996. The first year of Storm Baseball was 94. So a gentleman named Matt Devlin, he's actually a broadcaster with the Toronto Raptors these days, but he broadcast the first couple of years and I've been here since 96 so this is my 22nd season of storm baseball. So that would make you the the dean of the Cal League? The alleged dean of the Cal League, yes. <laughs> and uh, one of the reasons I find you a, to be a very interesting broadcaster is uh, not just your on-air stylings but your whole booth. You have a mini fridge and things on the walls and a really hospitable atmosphere that almost seems like it could host a party when you're on the air. How did that come about, um, incorporating all that into your your daily home while you're doing the broadcast? Well, I know it's not traditional for broadcasters to have mass visitors during the course of a game, but this is a booth that is constructed to give access and it's two-tiered and it has been just a staple of mine over the years to try and let someone else share the experience of what my view is and what a view at the ballpark is. And when you have a guest or a client or uh, someone who's a relative that comes to the game and they get to come to the press box and see then the perspective that, that I have, that I try to share during a broadcast, that that's unique. And I just think it's important to look out for others. I, I enjoy sharing and you know, it's a, a chance for people to look at something on the wall and maybe have a flashback to storm history or Padre history or just something comical or on the fridge, whatever it uh, might be. But yeah, to try and share a little information and have some fun. Yeah, and you have toothbrushes. Uh, why do you have toothbrushes for anyone who might walk in here? Well, I normally have some M&M's, some Tootsie Rolls, some mints, etc. And we have a storm sponsor, Winchester Dental. And they have their slogan on here, make your smile a hit. So uh, storm baseball, make your smile a hit. And uh, I, just a salute to a sponsor. And, and the kids come by and something to offer the youngsters. And uh, going back to when you started your career, who were your broadcasting influences? Because now you're a veteran, you seem so polished, you have your own style, but surely you've incorporated a lot getting to this point. Well, I grew up in a town called La Crescenta, California, about 20 miles north of Los Angeles, and I was someone who rooted for the Lakers and rooted for the Dodgers growing up and the Rams. Those were the local teams, of course. And I did listen to Vin Scully, but not in an impassioned way where I thought I wanted to be a broadcaster. I, I wanted to be in sports. I didn't know what capacity when I was growing up. But uh, loved basketball, so loved listening to Chick Hearn. And he was so unique to that sport and someone who was so passionate about his job. And, uh, you know, the, the Chick Hearn-isms, if you will, uh, synonymous with many things in basketball. But I grew up rooting on the Lakers and the, and the Dodgers, so I was listening to Chick Hearn and Vince Scully, two of the greatest ever. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I think you, you're a, you know, very, obviously a very polished and well-spoken individual, but I think people who listen to you pick up on dry humor, subtle in-jokes. Uh, there is a picture of David Letterman on your wall. Uh, do you have those kind of influences as well? It seems like you have a, an innate sense of the absurd that uh, kind of carries through as well. Well, I think it's important to laugh and have some fun. And what I think is funny might not be funny for somebody else, but it's a part of just enjoying the moment. And yes, I do like some absurdities in this world. I loved David Letterman when he was doing his late night gig. And uh, I think when you come to the ballpark, it's not just about baseball. It's it's the experience, and for me, there's so many things during the course of a game that you can draw uh, points of interest from, and for me, I'll have some occasional flashbacks and uh, try to share that information and keep it G-rated, and uh, on occasion, maybe PG-13, if we can encourage a thought that way, but most importantly, to have some fun. Yeah, and um, when, when, whenever someone speaks to you, you're likely to say, uh, please and thank you, or you say that on the air a lot, please and thank you. Um, you're a very polite person, but w- w- where did that come about? You know what? Uh, well, you, someone sponsors the, the out-of-town scoreboard or the umpires or on the state in history happens to be sponsored by me, reminding you to please say please and thank you. <laughs> thank you. And it's just, it, it, it's something that I, you, get, you get respect when you give it. And I think that we encourage kids, but we don't encourage adults the same way. And please and thank you are just two great words. There's, you know, please and thank you are still magic words. It's something that I think it gives a great head start toward respect. To another person, and I think it's essential in business and in, and in life, and I hope we don't lose sight of that, that's all, and I just try to offer it in a friendly manner, an encouraging one as well, but can we please show respect for one another, and it can start with a, with a please and thank you, not a bad way to, to incorporate that. Absolutely. And uh, so you've been in Lake Elsinore for a long time, but when I talk to people around the front office, fans, you know, you mention your name, people are like, oh, he's a pro, he's a pro's pro, and I would agree. So what keeps you in Lake Elsinore when uh, you are just firing at all cylinders as a broadcaster? Well, I want to thank you very much for the kind words and for someone that might have those sentiments as well. Thank you for saying that. And I think it's a, a case of just loving my job. Uh, uh, and I think that you know, there's a phrase that I have, live every day like it's your last and one day you'll be right. And that's not meant to be <laughs> debaucherous or foolish. It is meant to appreciate the day and also love what you do. And you know, during an off-season, I may not have that same joy, but I love coming to this ballpark. I love a game. I love being involved with a team and rooting on others. And I love this press box and, and this view and, and so many things that it incorporates. And so, you know, for now, it's uh, maybe I could be somewhere else if, if that's how someone looks. But also, what about enjoying where you're at? And so I just really love where I'm at. Maybe another time I'll have a chance to broadcast at a, at a higher level, and, and that would be... Certainly uh, appreciative as, as well. I'd be appreciative of it, but you know, uh, at the major league level, you're going to have better hotels, you're going to have better ball players, and you, you probably have some better uh, pay scale as well. But I know that there's a lot of freedoms I love about minor league baseball and about my job, and that's part of it for me is enjoy what you do. And if you don't, find something else that makes your heart tick. Find something that's going to put a smile on your face and make you want to encourage others. And this is a job that I just learned to love in the game of baseball that I've learned to love as well. And so for now, this is where I work as, you know, as long as I stay healthy and, and happy and keep a proper perspective. And so this is where I call home, life at the diamond. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm with you in that, uh, that mentality. I love the minor leagues for that same freedom and uh, I can relate. Yeah. So, Sean, uh, I know you got a game to prepare for, so I just want to say, uh, well, please and thank you for, uh, for having spoken with me. Oh, Ben, I appreciate it, and you're always welcome back. Thanks for coming back and really just doing what you do, for giving a perspective to people who don't get to travel the country and have the inner workings of minor league baseball and just your passion and, and your insight and your sense of humor and you know, your involvement. So for those that you know, read your work and to get to appreciate what you do, I want to say thank you indeed as well for that because I enjoy having uh, my update with uh, Ben's Biz and the, the blog and all your work and just keep doing what you do. And also, my friend, cheers. Thanks for the time, okay? All right, thank you. Well, we have a uh, mutual appreciation society here. <laughs> and uh, this is Ben Hill with Sean McCall for uh, the show Before the Show podcast.
Benjamin Hill and Sean McCall, the radio voice of the Lake Elsinore Storm. It's a great conversation, and uh, and Sean seems like such a good dude. Every time he's one of the guys that I get excited when I get assigned a Storm story, and he's the contact for me on any given night because you text him, he sets you up with the interview, and then he always seems to give you like an extra nugget of information, something interesting that's going on with the player you're talking to or the game or whatever. Just a fantastic guy, does a fantastic job, and a great interview, Ben. Thank you. I, you know, I do my best. You know, you, there's no guarantees when I do interviews, whether it's uh, for the blog, for the website, for um, for the podcast. But I was happy with that one, and I appreciate your support, guys. It's always good. It's all great work. What else is coming up on the trip, and uh, and when are you when are you heading back, buddy? Yeah, Rancho Cucamonga tonight, as I was talking about. So uh, that'll be you know Tuesday night for those keeping score at home, and I'm then I'll drive to an airport hotel after the game, right near uh, LAX super early morning flight and I'll be back in New York, God willing, uh, Wednesday. And then I'll have uh, weeks of material to sort through and, uh, lots of other exciting stuff coming up, uh, for me personally and professionally, which we'll get to next week for sure. And, um, yeah, stay tuned. And then the pioneer league in the end of June. And that'll be, uh, that's kind of the centerpiece of my road trip schedule this year. So, you know, so much more to come from, uh, the California league and minor league baseball. In general, he is Benjamin Hill. You can find the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com. He's on Twitter at bensbiz, and also stories up on the site right now, and more to come from the California League. Thanks, Ben. Travel safe. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you, and uh, I'm going to get out of this hotel parking lot. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to Benjamin Hill, and a big thanks to Sean McCall, the radio voice of the Lake Elsinore Storm, who uh, we encourage you always to watch MILP TV broadcasts and tune into minor league baseball radio broadcasts. Um, but if you really want to hear one of the great ones in the minor league, Sean McCall is one of your guys. So you can listen to Storm games all season long at MILB.com. And that brings us to uh, our MILP TV picks of the week. I don't know how we continue tying in all these segments so well today. This is like... Everything's transitioning so perfectly. I don't get it. Sam, what yeah, are you watching? Ju- just, <laughs> yeah, just pretend like we know what we're doing. Yeah, like, come on. These segues, you know. It, we really, it is. It's we almost really like we've done this for a while. Out, no, not at all. Yeah. What are you watching on Milk TV yeah. this week? Um, so, yeah, I, if you heard my enthusiasm in the first segment about Eloy Jimenez and being able to watch him play baseball again, uh, then you probably know that I was going to pick this weekend series uh, between Myrtle Beach and Salem. Uh, the game's at Salem, so it'll be on Milk TV. Um, for anybody who's watching, but not just for Jimenez. Uh, I think looking at kind of planning out ahead, Cubs number five prospect Oscar De La Cruz will probably be pitching for the Pelicans at some point during that series, um, either Saturday or Sunday or maybe even Friday. Uh, so keep an eye out for that uh, when this podcast comes out. You definitely want to get a look at him. Uh, he's six foot four, 200 pounds, three above average pitches in his fastball, curveball, and changeup. Uh, 2.97 ERA to start the year. Not exactly missing bats at an impressive rate, 27 strikeouts and 36 in the third innings. Um, But this is really him getting a taste of full season ball. They wanted to get aggressive with him. He only had a handful of starts last year at Class A South Bend. He's certainly handling handling himself well in these first couple weeks in the Carolina League. Uh, See what he can do against that Salem lineup and also see what Jimenez can do. Um, So you have something to watch at both ends of the inning. Uh, if you tune into that series this weekend. What about for you, Tyler? I'm going to go to the Eastern League. Uh, my mic was off. I'm going to go to the Eastern League and uh, make your way to Curve PA. The Altoona Curve this weekend, I want to take credit for this comment and this joke, but Sam pointed this out to me, and had I known it before, I probably just would have picked the the Curve every week. Uh, but the Curve's middle infield are Kramer and Newman. Kevin Kramer is the second baseman. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to do background music while you do this. And on. Kevin Newman is the shortstop. How on earth I did not know this blows my mind. But no, really, uh, Kevin Kramer started the season has been fantastic so far this year. Uh, again, we're recording on Tuesday, so the numbers will change by the weekend. But 30 games so far this year uh, for Kevin Kramer, and he has batted 360 with a 1031 OPS. He's been very, very impressive for Altoona this season. This is what kind of stands out about Kevin Kramer this year. Dude's played in 30 games. He has exactly three hitless games. 
hits in 27 of 30 this season. He's been remarkably consistent. Um, only one three-hit game among all those contests, a lot of one- and two-hit games, but, hey, man, those add up. Um, so tune in and watch the curve. They will be hosting the Erie Seawolves, the AA affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, but the Pirates AA club with Kramer and Newman. And I used to work for them. I don't know how this hasn't been my favorite roster all year. <laughs> well, imagine if you're Kevin Kramer, just like, hey, can we invent a new stat instead of batting average being like divided by at bats, just, um, you know, hits in amount of games. So I'm hitting 900. Let's go out of that 27 out of 30. That's 900, right? Yeah. That um, works. Yeah. But Kevin Newman, um, not only Kramer, but Newman himself um, kind of got past the scare. He was hit in the face uh, last week. Um, ended up going to the hospital. He's fine. He's back in the roster. He played this weekend. Um, kind of looking for him to get back on track. He's one of my favorite pure hitters in the minors. Does not strike out at all. Only hitting 261 so far. Um, but if he's, you know, can kind of move past this scare, I think he's going to get back on track. And um, that's a pretty deadly middle of the infield between him and his buddy uh, New, uh, Kramer, rather. Man, it's so great. I don't know how I missed this. Um, but now that I know, I'm very excited. We should have had more mail jokes. Very excited. Yeah, that's mail, probably true. M-A-I-L. Because the mail never stops. All right. <laughs> I'll do it for episode. Um, like, uh, like a movie scene, like a torrential downpour just opened up in my house. And I don't know. You may have been able to hear the thunder in the background a second ago. So I guess I should sign off of the internet and maybe turn off my I computer. I just thought that was you, Tyler. You always bring the thunder. Oh, look at that. Man, this has been a good one today. I need to wrap it up before I ruin it. Basically, my thought process. <laughs> I don't have any. I don't, I'm trying to end on that joke. I'm not saying. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.